Just here today, Monday morning on News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. Super pleased again to welcome to the program, Superintendent of the Rochester Public Schools, Kent Pickell. Good morning, Kent. Morning. It's great to be back again, Andy. It's good to see you again. A lot, a lot to get updated on. You had, I guess, a humongous school board meeting last week. So many big items on the agenda. I don't even know where to start, but I think I want to start with the strategic plan. Yeah, it was actually interesting that in uh, one of the meetings shortly after I got here, which actually made news not just across the state, but nationally because it was a pretty boisterous meeting. The only decision on that meeting agenda was approving the radon and lead testing in the school district. Uh, And last week it was like deserted and silent and they approved a strategic plan, a a major budget uh, deficit reduction next step and a contract with school Rochester Police Department for school resource officers three very big things and nobody was there's like crickets so it's interesting kind of how that how that works well this strategic plan is I don't know it's it's as big as it can get right you are you and the rest of the district are shifting gears here we are, we are, and it, it's been uh, almost a year in development with six really committed working groups looking at everything from our funding streams to our academic strategy to, you know, culture and measurement and data, and we took all of that really, really seriously, and it resulted in a plan that is, it is, it's ambitious, uh, it's a, it's complex, but I think it's commensurate with the needs of our system and the opportunity that we have here. And part of my job is to make sure that unlike a lot of strategic strategic plans, it doesn't just sit on the shelf or somewhere on a website and that it actually becomes a living, breathing part of our school district. So we are pivoting really fast to the implementation part of the work. This has actual specific action plans tied to the goals, right? <laughs> It does, and it will have much more visible ones by fall. If you looked at it now, I think there's a pretty clear change direction that is articulated for um, all the areas of our work. And by fall, there will be measurable goals and timelines and milestones, um, the kind of stuff that is pretty basic in like a lot of organizations, like the corporate world and healthcare and things like that, but that in education, we're not always that disciplined about. And so uh, we're gonna try and be really, really, um, action-oriented and transparent in how we're going to implement this plan. And, you know, we're going to have some failures and we're going to learn from some mistakes. Um, and I'm also confident we're going to we're going to get some things right, but it's going to definitely be a sort of a, a lot of trial and error uh, progress toward reaching the goals that the school board approved this week. Is this something that is being tried in other districts or at least something similar to this? I think so. I will say that if you look at um, like bigger districts that have made significant progress in raising student achievement overall, and especially in raising the achievement of the lowest level, uh, lowest performing kids. Um, Achievement meaning everything from test scores to graduation rates to going on to college, places like Montgomery County in Maryland or Chicago or Miami. I mean, those are obviously gigantic uh, compared to Rochester. Our plan, addresses a lot of the same issues. So we really have looked at districts that have made system-wide improvement, but we're much smaller. And so I think what's gonna be interesting is the opportunity for us to implement a plan that is ambitious, as ambitious and as comprehensive as those places that have, 
had system-wide improvement. But in a place where I can be in all of our schools like every month, uh, and I'm not sure they want me there like every month. <laughs> but you know, that's what I think this opportunity we have here is we have the scale to do something ambitious, but also the scale to really know each other and really be connected. And so I'm in, I'm excited about that, but it's going to be a challenge to make sure we um, we aren't so ambitious that we end up um, with a lot of aspirations that aren't realized. The presentation included some um, graphics that were circles that reached outward from a child in the middle. Yep. And the second circle was family. Um, the families of the kids now in the school and coming into the school system, are there any significant changes that they're going to notice as a result of this strategic plan? Um, there's two pieces to the family strategy. One is uh, shifting the relationship that we have with all parents and caregivers to be a true authentic two-way dialogue, both at the classroom level, the school level, and the district level. The second is empowering and informing our parents and caregivers who themselves may not have had good experiences either in our schools or in other schools or who may be just new to the United States um, uh, or to the U.S. education system um, and making sure they have the, the skills and knowledge to advocate for their children. So on the first issue, the sort of all families issue, out of our strategic planning process, one of the things that came screaming loud and clear from the surveys, from the focus groups, from the working groups, was that we really have to get much better at being highly responsive to the concerns that parenting adults and caregivers have, including explaining the things that we need from them uh, in, in what they're doing with their kids. And so I think of that part of the strategy as sort of moving fully away from the sort of note in the backpack, we hope someone reads it and that they actually do what we're asking to have really much more uh, iterative strategies. Some of our schools have been doing, I think, better at this than we've been at the district level. And so that really is the first piece. The second piece is creating um, something like a, a, you know, a parent academy or a, when I was working at the University of Minnesota, we called it Connecting Parents to Educational Opportunities, uh, SAPEO, which was just our weird acronym. And we took it to scale across Minneapolis, St. Paul, Brooklyn Center. And it brought parents who really needed an additional opportunity to understand things like GPA, like advanced course taking, like our discipline strategy, like homework, some really important basic stuff like making sure your kid has a dedicated place to do that homework that is quiet enough and that is structured and helping those parents understand uh, those issues and for us to, to hear what their needs and concerns are. So those are the two family strategies and they're related but still pretty, pretty distinct and I'm excited to get those underway. And I know when you go to the teacher level or other staff level, some of the discussion was on creating the connections yeah, between the adult and the student. And <laughs> to me, that might be the toughest one. You've, I mean, just not that the adults can't do it. It's the workload they already have. There's the workload, which is huge. And we need to be continually mindful of what our teachers are position that formerly has been known as paraprofessionals and that that working with us that a union has decided to rechristen that position education support professionals um, and principals and others. So basically all of our adults in schools, 
we know that many of them are deeply engaged in relationship with our students. What we haven't done is taken a systematic approach to ensure every single kid is known by and connected to at least one caring adult in our schools. And that really is an organizational problem. It, when we actually just sort of leave it to chance, yes, eventually many of our kids do find that teacher, that ESP, that you know, administrator, the equity specialist, or, or a lot of kids, it's extracurricular, the coach, the dance teacher, whatever. Eventually, a lot of kids find it, but a lot of our kids who struggle are quite clear that they don't have it. We've just finished something we called the Perspectives Project, where we went out and we did focus groups and interviews conducted by staff in our Office of Equity and Engagement with kids who either have been had multiple disciplinary infractions or who are really struggling academically. And we really just asked in a very structured protocol and 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 released it in a website that also includes teacher perspective. And one of the insights we got was for the kids who are struggling the most, they're not connected. And so that's not going to be a quick, simple fix because, as you say, it's not like a bunch of people are sitting around in faculty lounges drinking coffee with extra time. But we need to get systematic about the relationships um, and be sure that we're not just leaving it to chance that these, you know, young children or adolescents will self-start uh, creating the connections that they yeah. need in our schools. I, I guess I'm envisioning that maybe at the school level, depending on the size of the school, that the adults in the building discussing, you know, Mary Lou over here or yep. whoever it may be, they don't seem to be connecting. Somebody in the room picked that up or I, I don't know. Is that along that line and what we're thinking? Yeah, or? yeah absolutely. There was a, a program at the last organization I worked for, which was called Search Institute. And we started based on a program that was based on our research in one school, actually here in Minnesota in St. Louis Park. And it, it has gone to scale all across the country. And it's called the Building Assets reducing risks or BAR, B-A-R-R program. And there's a lot in it, but basically it means in ninth grade, it's high schools, you have a team of teachers who meet, uh, teachers and other staff, definitely other staff too, counselors, others. They meet periodically to look at how every single ninth grader is doing. And are they uh, can, are they succeeding academically? Are they, are they running into behavioral problems? Do they have mental health or social work needs? And they do a, a continual risk review um, to be sure every kid is on track. And the logic there is that ninth grade is for a lot of kids the make or break year for high school. And if you start strong in ninth grade, you're gonna do really well. And so there's nothing like rocket science about this, but it's gotten really good outcomes and has has had a, a, a clear benefit for kids' grades and continuation in school and some benefit even for their test scores. Um, and it really comes down to being systematic about that review of those kids. Now, it's also, you have to change the schedule to give those teachers the time to do that kind of a review of kids. So it's not as though you just sort of say, hey, let's do this. And everybody suddenly uh, wakes up and realizes that they, they have lots of free time and they can do it. It requires some reorganization of things. But that's just one of the types of structures that we'll be looking at over the course of the next few years. Is that the, I don't know, it's such a complex document, this strategic plan. Is, is that maybe the key provision of it? Forging those connections? Two. Uh, I think there's, well, let's see. I think there's there's probably three. If I had to say, and I shouldn't even say this because there's so much more in the plan, but if I had to pick three, I think there's three that are really critical. One is the relationships. That's what we've been talking about. The second is a focus on on deeper learning. And by deeper learning, what we mean and what a growing body of kind of leading schools uh, and systems in the country mean is that 
it's a less is more approach in which kids are truly deeply mastering core concepts in the academic subject areas, reading, math, science. But the deeper learning comes from then they are applying that knowledge to solve real world problems, to address real world scenarios. That's where American education really falls off compared to the leading systems in the world, like your Finlands and your Singapores and, um, and, and other places, where kids are not just master, mastering a formula, for instance, or how to write a paragraph, but then they're using those skills in classroom or other settings where they're applying them to real world uh, situations. And that is I think the direction that is going to be really needed to prepare kids for these amazing career opportunities that we've got right here in Rochester. Um, because, you know, when was the last time if you're someone who works at Mayo Clinic, I don't care what you do, whether you're a lab technician or an MD, like when was the last time you sat down and filled out a standardized test to recount, you know, your your understanding of geometry? Probably never. But you're using those skills constantly um, in your work. So I think the second big idea in the plan is deeper learning. And I think the third is preparation for post-secondary education and careers. We have two super awesome targeted programs in Rochester called CTEC and PTEC. Um, and they're partnerships with RCTC and Mayo and IBM and they're awesome. They're serving a subset of our kids. And we need to ensure every kid starting elementary school has an understanding of their aspirations, their interests and what kinds of careers exist. But then by middle school, they're really starting to understand where they wanna end up after high school. And, and, and by the time they're in high school, they've got a plan and they've got the supports that they need to be moving forward so that when they're walking across that stage in you know the spring, they know where they're going uh, the next day or a few months later. It's gonna be uh, interesting and fun to watch this play out. So I look forward yeah. to getting updates along the, along the route, let's put it that way. It is gonna we'll be take a We'll take a quick break here and come back with more of Rochester Public Schools Superintendent Kent Pickell on Rochester Today, News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. This is the Family Service Rochester Mental Health Minute. Kent Pickell, Rochester Public Schools Superintendent on Rochester Today, News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. You also mentioned at the big meeting last week, you passed the budget for the next school year. A yep. difficult budget. It was. We... Um, Shortly after I got here in the fall of 2021, um, with our school board and our leaders, we began to grapple with the reality that we do have a structural deficit. Um, structural meaning it's not just something temporary tied, for instance, to gas prices or something that we can expect to resolve itself and put us back you know, into balance. And I think it's fair to say that the largest driver for us of that structural deficit has been that the number of staff we have in the district has outpay, outpaced their growth, growth in enrollment. Um, that we've had about 8% growth in enrollment over the last 20 years and about 31% growth in the number of staff. And so those are, those are not, those, those numbers shouldn't necessarily be equal because you add positions as your student, student population grows and changes, but they can't be out of whack. You know, and uh, the enrollment growth really should be preceding the staff growth. So what we did was develop a multi-year plan to put us back into uh, structural balance. And so we made um, significant reductions in this uh, budget year. We will be making them again next year. 
And I'm pleased that when we look at uh, the aggregate of a $23 million deficit, on paper, we're going into next year with a $4 million deficit. That does include the allocation of uh, some of our federal money from the federal government to support recovery from the COVID pandemic, which is entirely appropriate. It's what it's there for. Um, but we can't get used to it because we have two more, we have this next year and one more year after that of those resources. And so um, we can't depend on that um, going forward. But it does, we're fortunate that we have that and we're able to use it as targeted support um, for kids that would be really negatively impacted. The cuts would really negatively impact our kids sort of filling in the unfinished learning that they have remaining from the pandemic if we didn't have those dollars. I know the district has enjoyed relatively healthy reserves over the past few years. And I imagine you're starting to spend down these reserves to address this. How far out can we go before those reserves fall into that territory where you don't want to be, which I believe the district says 6%. We said six, but we're raising it to eight because we actually want to be really making sure that we are, um, I mean, I'm, I'm fiscally uh, conservative in terms of, and I, and I think our board is making sure that we can survive the storms. I mean, if you had told any of us um, four years ago that it was going to be a global pandemic that was going to completely change everything, I, I, I mean, I don't know, I guess Bill Gates gave an amazingly eerily prescient TED talk where he, he did kind of predict COVID, which is like, if you ever watched, you're like, how did this like happen? But everybody else uh, was, was shocked. And so we want to be ready for whatever shocks might be there. So we're going to take up our fund balance a little bit. We're a bit above that going into next year. And yes, we have appropriately spent it down a bit. You don't want to sit on too many resources. There are districts uh, in Minnesota that are way above us in fund balance, like around 20%. And then there are districts that are significantly below. We think around that 8% is a prudent space to be. We want to make sure we can handle um, challenges that might happen, but we don't want to have uh, too much money in the bank. We want it to be supporting our kids. Is there an anticipation, considering the size of our projected budget surplus for the state of Minnesota, that you might be seeing some help at some point as far as state funding, or is that something you can't factor in? Shockingly, we have pretty much accepted the fact that it is not going to happen. Um, With an extraordinary state uh, surplus and state law that requires us to provide both special education services and services to multi-language learners, which we are pleased to do, but which is not adequately funded. We and many others had hoped that the state would utilize its opportunity to um, more fully fund the services it requires us to give, and that, of course, the federal government also requires us to give, and funds at even lower levels in the state. But it is very clear that that is not going to happen. And so we are um, going to be going into the next school year with that surplus still there and um, uh, no new revenue for filling what we call that gap. For Rochester Public Schools, it's $15 million a year in the required special education services to students' disabilities that we are required to give that are not funded adequately by the state and federal governments. So what we have to do is we have to take the dollars that all kids generate through what we call the general fund and reallocate them to that 15 million a year. And what many had hoped, and certainly our school board and I had hoped, was that the state would seize this unique opportunity of a significant surplus to close that gap in the funding that is provided to 
to meet those state and federal requirements. Yeah, this has been going on forever. It has. It really it's has. Things that you just have to wonder at some point at, at the state or federal level, where's going to be the leadership for a, a systemic fix to this issue? But in the meantime, we're going to keep moving things forward at the local level um, and, you know, providing those services. But it would it would be a very different picture this summer if we were planning for a year in which those uh, those dollars were going to be forthcoming to meet meet the needs of those kids who really do uh, need extraordinary support. All right. Kent Pickell, Rochester Public School Superintendent with us this morning on Rochester Today. Uh, we do have to take a news break and we'll return in a moment. On News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. Hi, I'm James Raby for Livia Weight Control Centers. And I'm Monday morning with the superintendent, Kent Pickell, Rochester Public Schools. I'm Andy Brownell on News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. One of the other big issues you mentioned and was on the agenda for last week was a new contract with the Rochester Police Department for, is it still called school resource officers? Do you change paraprofessionals? I better check. Nope. School resource officers are still school resource officers or SROs as they are more frequently referred to. And uh, are there any key or major changes to this contract that uh, folks will notice? There are significant ones, but they were already mostly in place through a memorandum of understanding that passed shortly after I got here. And uh, there's two big ideas that are undergirding the, the, the next step in Rochester's longstanding partnership with Rochester Police, one of which is really being very clear. School resource officers or the police in our schools are not part of the discipline process in our schools. When a kid is, is either brought to the office to have a talking to about something that happened or maybe is assigned a consequence, whether it's a, you know, in-school or out-of-school suspension or something, that does not involve SROs. SROs are not a part of that. And the rationale there is that these are not either potentially illegal or dangerous activities, and so they don't involve law enforcement. And that sounds obvious, but there used to be a lot, a lot of blurring of those lines. I'm not talking about Rochester, but, you know, if the assistant principal had to go and was going to, um, you know, pull a kid from class who had done something, well, maybe I'll have the, the SRO come along with me and wait in the hall and kind of, you know, it's almost like having the muscle there. And that's what, what we and, and, and others have said. That's that's an inappropriate use. First of all, that SRO has other things to do. They're not an administrator. They're a cop. Um, so the first big idea is really separating discipline from uh, the role of the SROs, which is investigating and taking action on things that are are clear and present danger to safety or illegal. The second is building relationships, connecting with kids, connecting with families. And we've codified that in our new contract so that there are requirements for meetings with students, meeting with families um, and collaboration with the student support staff that are in every one of our schools, social workers, school psychologists, mental health practitioners. So that's the new direction. And uh, with leadership from our school board, we put both of those ideas directly in the contract with RPD. And I'm excited that, you know, the department has, uh, starting with Chief Franklin, has been enthusiastically on board with that. And so um, we're going to have Rochester Police in our schools for at least the next school year, I think, in a, in a, in a really important partnership that we're going to keep continually evaluating. All of that said, we do understand that for some kids and communities, 
the idea of police in schools raises concerns about a school to prison pipeline. And we want to hear that. We want to be attentive to it. It's one reason why cops in, RP, in RPS are not wearing uh, their full uniforms. They're in sort of like khakis and polo shirts. Now they carry weapons, but their uniforms are intentionally more informal than when they're out there on the street. And that may seem small, but I think it's quite significant. And uh, I don't know, it's such a complex issue as you had brought up because it's a balancing act, isn't it? I mean, you want that law enforcement presence for the safety aspect of it, but you don't want to interfere with somebody else's educational opportunities either for whatever reason. Yeah, one of the things, right. I mean, if you, if you are a student who, for whatever reason, uh, because of your direct experience potentially, or just because of your community's experience, um, ha- has a, a a stress response, maybe even a traumatic response to the presence of police in your schools, it's going to be very challenging to learn. And so we want to be aware of that. We also know those police provide uh, invaluable uh, services in our schools in many ways. One thing I feel really good about here in Rochester is the department working with us and we have two former uh, RPD officers that are now on our staff in different roles. They have really understood what some school districts and police departments get wrong, which is that not every good cop is a good SRO. That SROs are good with adolescents and young kids. They're cops, they're well-trained, they know how to do the work of policing, but that they are able to build those relationships, connect with kids. Um, I've seen places where you get a cop off the street and they're putting middle school kids up against a locker. And that's not what you want. It's their job on the street maybe, but it's not in a school. And I feel really good about RPD's uh, willingness to continually assess the degree to which we have the right people in our schools who are sensitive to all of these kinds of things. And that's foundational, um, I think, because we can debate these issues kind of at the the level of policy or even like values. But in the end, it comes down to who's that person in our school hallways, you know, or classrooms every day and how do they interact with students, staff and families. And I can see this as a real win-win for everybody involved if you have the right person in there. And as you mentioned, you forge these relationships. I think I've told you that a friend of mine in a different community was an SRO and he was that kind of person. He's no longer in law enforcement, retired, but he'll still talk about the kids today Yeah, that he, he was involved with. And I think he still has connections to those kids today. They, they do. And I, I always want to be clear as a, as a superintendent, I, I do understand the concerns about this issue and I see it as critical that I'm continually thinking about that. And I know our school board shares that. I, I will say though, given all these deep issues if we have a generation of kids in this country that grows up with either fear of or disdain for the police we have a really big problem and i think that having those sros in our schools uh doing the kind of things very clearly that we want them to be doing around relationships and safety and not being part of the discipline process is in a small way something we need to do as a society to address that tension between some of our communities and police. Because if you're out there with, you know, Al Arzola in, you know, one of our schools, who's just one of our SROs, and who's amazing at this, he's a face. And those kids know him. And, you know, that's 
That's the kind of long-term positioning of law enforcement with some of our students that I think we need to nurture and support. Excellent. Okay, we have to take a break already. The superintendent is in this morning on Rochester Today, and we will continue on News Talk 1340, Caro AM and 96.9 FM in just a moment. Cybersecurity technology protects... We are back with the superintendent, Rochester Public Schools Superintendent Kent McKell. I'm Andy Brownell on Rochester Today, News Talk 1340, CAROC AM and 96.9 FM. You had mentioned previously uh, during one of your other visits this Perspectives initiative, and we chatted about it. And since then, um, I, was it this past school board meeting or it was one of the previous ones? Included in the packet was this data dump, I'd call it. Yep. <laughs> and it was just raw statements made by both students and staff members um, concerning some of the issues that we talked about earlier, the connectiveness of the students or their their experiences in the schools. And I would term it eye-opening and disturbing, also thought-provoking. And I guess I would urge anybody who has a little bit of time to go and just read that mm-hmm. because it might, it might open your eyes a little bit. Yeah, I think the first thing, and this is so, so important because I, I, I don't want to minimize the seriousness of some of those issues, but it's important to say this. What we decided to do was to go out that and in a very structured way talk to the kids who are struggling the most in our schools, struggling both with uh, behavior issues and also with discipline issues, and to really have a positive, empathetic listening perspective to those kids. Um, importantly, the interviews themselves, where we worked with a research organization in the Twin Cities, Wilder Research, and you know I come from that background, so, so I designed the initial protocol and Wilder helped us. And we used very careful uh, focus group techniques where you don't lead the kids to a question, you don't do it. But the interviews were conducted by staff in our Office of Equity and Engagement, who themselves were much more likely to be from uh, some of the cultural and racial communities that we were trying to reach with some of our students. So there was a real open space there for authentic dialogue. But then each interview was transcribed and Wilder Research independently uh, analyzed those transcripts. And so there was a uh, there was a rigor, and we did this in every single one of our secondary schools. As we look at the results, it's super important to remember this is not, nor was it intended to be representative of all of Rochester Public Schools. We have many kids, including many kids of color, who are thriving in our schools, who are not struggling with behavior, who are hitting it out of the park academically, who are, you know, going on to college and careers, all of those things. But we know we have some students who really are struggling, and we said we need to listen to them, and we need to really understand their lived experience, and we need to understand the perspective of the the teachers and education support professionals and administrators who work most directly with them. Because it's very easy to um, not be attentive to those perspectives, Um, but we know that it matters first for the students themselves, but it also matters for the larger culture and environments for learning within our schools. So that was sort of the intent of the Perspectives Project. And as you say, it's a very hefty report. Um, It's available on our website. We will be, over the coming months, boiling that down into both shorter, more digestible resources for for teachers and staff to, to read and learn from, but frankly also into the new initiatives in the strategic plan that will be um, that we're going to be taking action on over the next three years. Just a observation on my part was there was one particular 
student had an experience or experiences. And my reaction to it initially was, well, how much of this was a perspective issue or uh, to, yeah, to, to accidentally use that, that term. Um, but then I also thought more and it doesn't make any difference because if it's the student's perspective, it still has the same impact on that student, yep. regardless if they're misinterpreting the situation or not. And there's no way for me to know if they were or not. And then I thought, oh my goodness, what a, what a conundrum you have then. Yeah. To try to repair that. It is, but it also highlights the complexity uh, and how teaching in particular, but also being in education in general, it is it is a rigorous, challenging profession, uh, at, and it's both science and art, and especially working with the highest need kids. Um, there was one, one of many, many scenarios in there where a student was describing the fact that they asked for help from the teacher and the teacher immediately turned it to the full class and said this person needs help can you all help them and the student experienced that as shaming them in front of their classmates and everybody else knows this why can't you do it and for me as a former teacher, that was also heartbreaking because my my, sen- my guess is that teacher was trying to do what also is potentially good practice, which is the wisdom is in the room and students helping students. But this was a fragile learner. This was a learner who felt – so what the student said with striking clarity in the interview was I felt that two things happened. One, the teacher wouldn't help me, and two, they shamed me in front of the other students. And there's so much complexity in that. And the reason we called it perspectives is both are valid perspectives that are sitting there. And in that, I mean, I'm sure that this was months or maybe even years after that happened to that student. But when we sat down for that structured focus group, this just popped out. Like that clearly had been, you know, definitional for that kid about learning and about school. And one could sort of read into the transcript that they probably didn't ask the question Uh, they probably didn't go to either that teacher or maybe other teachers after that and say, I don't understand. I need help because there's a fear of being sort of called out. And yet we also say to teachers all the time, don't just spoon feed kid the answers and give them lectures all the time, get the kids engaged in, you know, cooperative learning. And so I think that uh, there's a ton in there that we need to be attentive to. And we really need to say, just as you were saying, Andy, like we're a people business and perception is a big part of reality. It's not all a reality. There are still things that are true and not true. True. But <laughs> that perspective really matters and and mutually understanding those perspectives for the for kids who struggle in particular is is it needs to be a priority for us. And I I was thinking as a, you know an adult that how many times over the many years were I I took something as a slight and it never yep. was a slight, and it took a long time to find out it wasn't a slight. Yep. And these are these are young, forming minds who don't have any experience to draw upon to make that determination. So they're young, that forming minds. Makes it even and, tougher. It, right, they're young, forming minds, and they are disproportionately from communities that have experienced bias and uh, lower levels of success in our schools for generations. And so you add the, the developing mind piece to the, you know, the, the history piece. And um, 
it's a challenge, but it's a challenge that we know we're up to. And uh, the other part of it that came to mind, okay, we go. I'm going to lead down the road, uh, is mindfulness and how you introduce that because, as you pointed out, people are busy. They're dealing, they're multitasking all the time in these classrooms or wherever setting they're in, and to have that reflection before you open your mouth, whatever it may be, mm-hmm. because what you meant to do may not be perceived the way you wanted it to be perceived. And that became very obvious when I read these, uh, these experiences that these kids were sharing. Yeah. It was, it was tough to read actually. It, It is tough to read. And again, I know I'm like a broken record, but it's important to read. We were intentional in going to the kids struggling the most. It's, it's, it's not representative of everyone in our system, but, but I'm proud that we're focusing on those students. Um, I believe that if we are enhancing their experience in our schools, it will have dramatic benefits for all of our students and our staff. Well, beyond that, uh, you address and somehow reach those kids down the road. Our society benefits Absolutely. so greatly. Yep. Yep. So uh, anything uh, coming up? Do you get... Uh, you get any vacation here this summer? I do. I'm I'm heading off next week. My oldest daughter's getting married, and um, her fiance's family. Yeah, her fiance's family's from the Dominican Republic, actually, and so they've chosen to merge. And we're ha- the wedding's in Jamaica, where I've never been. And so, like, my 82 year old mom and uh, other four kids, and we're all going down next week to Jamaica. So that'll be uh, an adventure for sure. Um, but it's going to be a busy summer because um, implementation of the strategic plan really starts now and we want to have those teams and uh, processes underway by fall so that we can really hit the ground running so i'm I, you know, i'm I'll get a little bit of a break here but i'm feeling pretty energized you also have a transportation piece to work out you also have we do we do a we whole have. list of things that need to be done yep uh. i was with um I was with a bunch of first graders at our summer of discovery over at Gage Elementary yesterday, sitting on the floor, and we we're talking about when you like to get up and when you uh, like to, you know, go to sleep. And of course, they're just telling me about like when they wake up and things. And I'm sitting there on the carpet thinking about school start times and like, you know, getting it from the first graders, like and where they. Go. I will say that uh, somewhat similar to what our elementary teachers were saying, the winning votes were for early. More than late. So for the little kids. So it was an interesting right. scientific experiment. All right. Well, you enjoy that wedding. Thank you. I expect the next time we talk, you'll be wearing some brightly cover, colored shirt <laughs> that you brought back from Jamaica. I like it. I know. I need to loosen up <laughs> a little bit, I think. So maybe I'll, maybe I'll lean into that. All right. Kent Fickell, Rochester Public School Superintendent. Thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it. I know you're really busy. Yeah. So I appreciate it. It's a unique chance for me to get uh, below the first level of the work we're doing, so I'm grateful for it. Okay. Well, chat with you in another month. Thank you so much, Kent. Kent Pickell, Rochester Public School Superintendent this morning on Rochester Today. News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM.